0: Gracious God, we have received your spirit that has descended upon us this morning, filling us with your presence and drawing us together in the bonds of fellowship and love. We are so thankful, Lord, for the many ways in which you lead us and in which you guide us, for the fact that you have made us a part of your people to join the throngs of heaven and the throngs on earth who call upon the name of Jesus, calling him Savior and calling him Lord, for he is certainly both. For the gift of Christ that we know in Jesus, for the gift of Christ that we know as he reigns on high from above, as he looks down upon us today, may he be glorified in all that we say and in all that we hear. And in all of our responses, both today and in the days to come. For I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We've been moving along in these questions. And if you have bought this book, the uh, 19 Questions to Kindle a Wesleyan Spirit by Carolyn Moore, then you're probably right now turned on page 6, expecting to hear a sermon about question number 6. Well, actually for reasons that you'll understand later as it rolls along. Uh, I'm going to be gone next week, and I'm not going to be here. uh, A trip that has been planned for months and months. I'll be joining three other couples that have been together with us in ministry for over 30 years to celebrate the oldest couple, who have already turned 70 this past summer. And we haven't been together for some time, so we're meeting for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night on on the Gulf Coast of Galveston, assuming the storm leaves us alone. And I guess the rest of them might be there. Otherwise, I'll stop short of Galveston if the storm is there, being the brave one of the crowd and the sensible one. And I'll pray for the others. Uh, but we have a building I'm assured is on stilts, and if we can just get in, we should be all right. So, at any rate, we're looking forward to that. Cindy is going to preach next week on questions six and seven, and I've chosen to forge ahead. Last week I thought I was going to do about six of these questions, maybe eight. But instead, I'm going to do three today, and I'm going to read them all together this morning because they all hang together in what Wesley shared. Now, I want you to think about something before I do, though, as powerful as the Scriptures are and the way the Scriptures share with us who God is and who the Trinity is and all that it it supplies us for understanding how we to live in terms of rules or commandments or guidance, however you uh, enjoy thinking about it. It is also something much more. It is also a book that calls us to act and behave in certain ways and then monitors, if you will, our growth and encourages us all along the way in our growth and understanding so that we might grow closer and have a greater in-depth knowledge of our God, Savior, and Spirit. So when you ask these questions, what you're really asking is is the questions that John Wesley felt inspired by God because of his knowledge of the Scriptures to write these questions as summaries both to ordinands who are coming forward in ministry and as a guide to other Christians who might get a hold of them outside of ordination or remember to take them home and reflect on them themselves. Because you see, once we have received the Word and all it's telling us to do, once we have put it into practice in our lives, As humans in the Western world, we have a tendency to organize and to gather information and to put it in intellectual categories in Western thought that make sense to us. One of the things we call these things are doctrines. We gather the truths of Scripture, summarized and taught through centuries of faith in God and Jesus Christ. And then we try to, pardon the phrase, we try to dumb it down so it's accessible to beginning Christians, as well as accessible to long time Christians, as we plunge the depth of what it means to be a follower of Christ and have faith in Jesus. And so, Wesley, with these thoughts in mind, asks these three questions. First of all, he says, Have you studied the doctrines of the United Methodist Church? Have you studied them? And every ordinance says, Yes. And they say it with vigor. And then it says, after full examination, not only studying them, but breaking them down and meditating them on, thinking about what they mean, do you believe that our doctrines are in harmony with the Holy Scriptures? And everybody says, yes, we do. And then he asks the third question that goes with these other two. And this is a question that derives directly from the Scriptures we just read and derives out of Wesley's intimate knowledge and understanding of humanity and all our frailties he looks at them I'm sure the first time he read them and he says will you preach and maintain them will you preach and maintain them and this is going to be kind of a pattern he follows for the next several questions not only does he tell them something but he then asks them do you understand them then he asks will you do them will you obey them Will you keep them? Will you be who you say you are? And Let me begin this sermon by just simply saying to you, in probably not as humble a voice as it needs to be, many United Methodist clergy in our denomination have taken these questions and all said yes to them, and they have failed to uphold them. Instead of upholding them, having studied them, They try to change them into something that fits more into the culture than it does into the culture of the Scriptures. And it's because of that reason that our church is in turmoil as far as I'm concerned. Once the church no longer knows what it believes, and once the church fails to name those commandments as something they will follow uh, making a commitment to them, and once the church decides that they will not follow some commandments that they said they would, then the church ceases to be the church as described in the Scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not just preachers that do this. You remember that last question you take as you became a member of the United Methodist Church? I will uphold it by my prayers, my presence, my gifts, my service, and my witness. I can't tell you how much time I've spent in my ministry over the last... Forty-so years explained to people, it doesn't mean just one of those. They all go together. And there's occasional good-meaning person will come to me and say, well, I don't really have any money, uh, enough that I can give to the church, but I'll be glad to serve on Wednesdays at 3 o'clock. And that can make up for my giving, right? And I look at that, and I smile, we'll be glad to have you on 3. But no, it can't make up for your giving. You say, why would you say an unkind thing like that, Doug? You know that person doesn't have much money. Do you remember the widow in the mine? It's said a little wee story in the scripture about a wee, little wee old lady who had two copper coins, and she put them in the treasury at the temple. And Jesus did not go and take them out. and said, no, 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 you keep your two coins because you don't have enough coins as it is. He left the coins in the treasury, and she, he said, she will be greatly blessed. Doug's translation for she's given out of what she does not have instead of out of the plenty she doesn't have. You see, commands in the Scripture are not meant as suggestions. This is not a book about suggestions. It's really not a book about what you think either. And this is the hardest part for the Western culture in the last 50 years. We've decided to take the Scriptures and to make it into our own image. There's a word for that, I think we call it in Scripture, I think, don't we? Uh, isn't there a word for that isn't it called making an idol when we don't like the scriptures we just decide well that's old-timey that's not for now that really doesn't have any place in our lives or as one person told one friend in a church uh, after i would preached on tithing one of those good 40 year olds in frisco texas where they all live in new homes and their kids all go to all the sports and where they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money and they entertain a lot and are entertained a lot. One of those young men came up and said something to another 40-year-old, to, so, sort of these words. Can you believe the preacher's expecting us to give 10% of our money to the church? And the other person said, who had been in a Bible study for the past year, yes, I can believe that. In fact, I do. And you know what the young man said to him? If I've I've already told you this story, it'll be better the second time. (laughs) He looked at him, and he says, you're a liar. You don't possibly give 10% of your money. Do you know how much that is? And that person said, not only do I give 10% of my money, but I also gave a pledge of five-figure numbers for the building fund that we're doing now. And the person was looking at him and said, you are crazy. You did not do that. He said, I certainly did. And then he looked at me and said, you know what, you should too. <laughs> I think the conversation ended there between the two of them. You know, a little bit of knowledge when someone decides to follow it has a great power in their life. Before that, that person had not given anywhere near that amount of money to the church for any reason. But once that person understood that Jesus really expected it of them, once he committed to doing it, He was faithful to do not only that, but even to go beyond it. You see, the whole reason for some of us, and hopefully for all of us in one way or another, even if it's following the wrong set of rules, we took a pledge to study not only the doctrines of the church, but the scriptures that we believe agree with those doctrines. And we made a promise that we would teach and explain them to the people. And we made a promise that we'd do our best to follow them as well as encouraging others to. For, so, for someone who's had the opportunity to be educated and to understand the Scriptures, to understand the pledges and the oaths that they made before God and the church, to then turn around and decide they wanted to change the rules later on because they were inconvenient or because surely God didn't mean that, or because they were just too lazy to understand the commandments, there's really not any excuse for that. In a nation where you can buy books that explain the Bible for $10 apiece at the Christian bookstore, in a nation where there are hundreds of radio programs and TV programs on around the country, and plenty of people on many streets across the land, who would explain the scriptures to you. There's really no reason that we can give when we stand before Jesus on that day of judgment to say, I didn't understand the scriptures. And he'd say, really? (laughs) Really? You didn't understand? You had 70 years of being a Christian on earth, and you're telling me you didn't understand the basic precepts? What did you do with all those 70 years? I can just see Jesus' eyes, can't you? Kind of like, really? Kind of like you look at your children when they do something really wrong and you've told them the hundredth time. Really? You really don't get it? Or they'll look at you with that look that they get about the time they turn eight or nine in a moment of panic. I forgot. I forgot. And you know, I'm bad about this because I'm Papa. So sometimes my kids say, I didn't do that. And I look at them and say, I was watching you. And they say, I didn't do it. And they get louder and they get madder. This is my 8-year-old. I won't call his name. God bless him. Because he's just come of age where he realizes he might be able to say he didn't do it and somebody will believe him. Uh, It won't be his papa. But it might be. It probably wouldn't even be sassy. Now, it might be his mama or it might be his daddy. But it won't be me. Not when I'm watching him. And I'm always watching him when I'm around him looking for those teachable moments, looking for those things to remember to tell them later on, I saw what you did, and I heard what you said. I love you, but now you have two things to be praying about tonight. One, what you did. Two, what you lied about. Because you see, that's what papas are for. That into to buy them candy, of course toys they don't need, those kind of things. But the seriousness of these words are important to us, and they're important to us because the doctrines of the church are about the character of God, the nature of Jesus Christ, the content and the depth of salvation, and the way to find it. It is for the purpose of instructing the followers so that they might go out in the faith and explain it to their neighbor in a way their neighbor can understand it, because they've been not only just reading about it, they've been studying about it. And they've decided it's true. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who have read it and studied it, and they have all the content in the world in their heads, but they've never really decided it's true, and you can tell because they've really never tried to follow it, at least when it gets difficult. And we have a whole section of our church, our beloved United Methodist Church, that have decided to set apart those things that are difficult And allow the culture to interpret the Bible instead of the Bible to interpret the culture. It never works that way. It didn't work that way in Jesus' day. It doesn't work that way now. For us to harvest the fruit of the scriptures, we have to be committed to understanding that truth is not relative. I don't care what the news says. I don't care how many well-meaning people says, you Christians are just so single-minded, you think yours is the only way. And I like to respond to them. by saying, no, I really don't think ours is the only way. I know ours is the way. All the others are ways, but not ways to the place where I plan to go. Now, I'm telling you that out of love because I care about you, but the way you're following won't get you where you want to go. And if I told you anything different, it would be like giving my grandson a snake. I'm not going to give my grandson a snake. I'm going to give him that which will give him life. I'm going to give my granddaughter that which will give her life, both of them. And I'm even going to give Maddox what I can that will give him life. Because you see, that's what we've been entrusted the truth of the gospel for to pass it on to our children and our teenagers, to our neighbors. And to our grown children who have forgotten it, we need to encourage them back home. You see, the basic truths that we have that are Methodists, it just rankles those of us who love being Methodist For them to say, well, you Methodists don't believe anything. Well, let me tell you what Methodists do believe. Listen up. Methodists believe these things at the core of what we believe in. First of all, let's know this. These things are all based on the Scriptures, first of all. And they are called the Articles of Religion of the United Methodist Church that are there about the foundational and orthodox doctrine of Christianity for some 2,000 years nearly. They're based upon Wesley's sermon interpretations about taking the scriptures and putting them into practical language about how to live pract- faith as a practical Christian. Because you see, a bunch of intellectual knowledge doesn't get you anywhere unless you give it feet and hands and a voice. And Wesley did. Not only are they based on the scriptures and the articles of religion and Wesley's notes upon the New Testament on the New Testament, but they say these things basically. We Methodists believe that we transform the world and not vice versa. And any Methodist who tells you they don't believe that, then they're not Methodists. Point one. Point two: We Methodists believe the United Methodist Church has always celebrated lavish grace. We believe that God pours out his grace upon us abundantly so that we have plenty to go around. We should be people who pour out love and mercy and forgiveness upon people. The kind of grace that is expressed in prevenient grace before the people even know that we're giving them love, we should be loving them. That comes in justifying grace that knows we pardon them when they sin and we give them new life at every opportunity. And in sanctifying grace, it calls them to a new life to a transformed life that God keeps on transforming. That's what Methodists believe. We believe not only in lavish grace, but we, the United Methodist Church, the people who know what Methodism is, we celebrate holiness and sanctification, we don't apologize for it or the lack of understanding that other churches do not preach on it. We don't even apologize for the Methodist preachers who don't know what it means or what they don't preach. I do for you. I do for anybody else, and shame on them for not being clear about the doctrines of the church. Shame on them for allowing people to believe that they can kind of get by in any old kind of way and it's okay with Jesus because it's never been so and it never will be so. Jesus demands our all. And that is expressed in lavish grace and celebrated in holiness and in sanctification. Finally, we believe in practical acts of mercy and justice. We believe in celebrating them in the sacramental life, specifically baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that the regular celebration of the sacraments is incredibly important to who we are as Methodists, and we believe that baptism is important, and we believe that every time we baptize a baby or an adult, we have been lavish in making a channel for the grace of God to pour into their souls. And we apologize for none of those things. We believe in reaching out in mercy to the poor and to the hungry, to those without lives, for those who have been tormented by hurricanes and storms and personal family disasters. We believe in reaching out in grace and practical acts of mercy to those who are hungry and who have hungry children around the world. We do not cease doing good with everything we have and everything we are. When somebody tells me the Methodists don't know what they believe, I'm just telling you they simply don't know what they're talking about. We know exactly what we believe. And so I ask you those questions that all of these questions kind of channel up. Do you know what you believe? Can you articulate it? And is that in line with United Methodist belief? If you call yourself Methodist, act like one. If you don't want to be a Methodist, there are lots of other fellowships you can join. But if you're a Methodist, act like one. Will you embrace what you've learned in the United Methodist Church? Have you seriously considered how you will live out your faith? Are you willing to give what it requires to be a follower of Jesus? Scripture is so clear, so powerful. And so I would ask you, just as Wesley asked the preachers, will you maintain what you've learned and will you share it with others? Whether it's preaching or teaching or just over a meal, will you share the wisdom of the ages and the source of all life? That is questions 8, 9, and 10. I want to pray for you now. Let us pray. God in heaven, you've given us a treasure in John Wesley. You've given us a treasure in the Scriptures that reminds us over and over again that what we know is important, but what we do with what we know is even more important. May we be people who follow your commandments. May we be people who follow the Methodist way, because that's who we are. We celebrate all that means, and we've gathered together to worship as a United Methodist congregation, and we will be no less, for we are Methodists. And you call this people together in order to spread spread scriptural holiness across these lands. And the job is not yet finished. Bless us and empower us in everything we do, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.